What is up, BA family, and welcome to another episode of the Breathe and Air podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. I'm your host, Mason Bendigo, and thank you all so much for tuning in to another week. Today, we have the co-founder and CEO of ReOrigin. They're a science-based, self-directed neuroplasticity training program that helps people understand and harness the power of our minds. Welcome to the stage, Mr. Ben Ahrens. Along with his flourishing business, Ben has been featured on TED Talks discussing the power of one breath and how at age 25, a super athletic, semi-professional surfer, fitness buff, became bedridden for three years with chronic neurological Lyme disease and a plethora of other illnesses to where he thought he maybe was not going to ever be the same. Ben's story is powerful and profound, and he has now channeled his passion to help others overcome their illnesses as well through the science of neuroplasticity. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and neuroplasticity as a whole because it's so interesting to see how we're biologically hardwired and how to retrain our brains to work for us, to serve us the way that they're supposed to. I thoroughly enjoyed today's talk with Ben. I think y'all are going to get so much out of this. If you want to hear more from Ben, you can go check him out and re-origin over at re-origin.com. You'll be able to find his TED Talk there and a lot more about re-origin and what they're currently doing and how they could help in your life as well. As always, the price of admission to this show is one thing. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with someone who you think could also benefit from what you heard today and then act on it. Don't let motivation go stagnant. Put it into good use and you will definitely come out of today's episode motivated and inspired by Ben's incredible story and what he is doing to help change so many different lives. As always, if you haven't followed us over on Instagram, go check us out at Breathe and Air Podcast, where we're going to keep you up to date with everything on the show and also pump good content your way all focused around body, mind, and spirit, our three pillars. We have a lot of exciting stuff coming, some personalized coaching opportunities, some retreats that we're planning, and some cool merch that we're going to be putting together for you guys. It will be two years in January, so I just want to take a quick second to thank everyone who is listening to this show. You guys are what continues to push this show forward, and it means the world to me. This journey that we've been on together is so personal, and you know that is why I call this the BA family. I hope you guys have a great rest of the year, and yeah, there's my little sentimental piece for the day. Enough about me. Welcome in our amazing guest today, Mr. Ben Ahrens. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really interested in what led you to wanting to get into fitness in the first place. Like, how did you go down this route of, I love fitness, I love being active, and I want to help others do it? Yeah, for me, I mean, it started at a really young age, just being fascinated with what the body could do. I was always into sports, although never really team sports, just, you know, surfing, biking, hiking, just individual things to see how my body could change and adapt. And then that kind of led me into as a young teenager, 13, 14, getting into a little bit of weightlifting, you know, idolizing Arnold Schwarzenegger and all yeah. these guys. And um, you know, I was a kind of a, str a scrawny kid. I wanted to change my appearance first and foremost, yeah. but as a kind of side effect of doing that and getting some results, I just got really swept up and fascinated by this idea, this notion that we could go from this thought in our head, like I want to change the shape and function of my body to actually doing an activity in this case, working out. And that would result in physical physiologic changes that ourselves could experience and others could see. So that just was kind of mind blowing. And that led me just deeper into this realm of, you know, what else can we control? What else can we change? And how else can, can our bodies, uh, you know, be optimized as a result of that? Yeah. You mentioned surfing and I know that's one of the passions that you have. What is, what are, I'm interested in how that started too. Did you grow up on the coast? I did. Well, the answer is sort of. I went to school in Manhattan most of my childhood, but in my early childhood, I started off in eastern Long Island, a small town at the end of Long Island called Montauk. They say it's a, uh, 
a drinking town with a fishing problem. So <laughs> there's not much going out on out there, especially in the in the winter, but there are plenty of waves. You know, little known fact, New York happens to be kind of a mecca for surfing in the right season, which is this time of year, September, October, November. Yeah. Um, just kicks up some really good swells in the Atlantic. And um, yeah, it's one of those things as a kid, I just love the ocean, love the beach, being in the water. And so uh, surfing kind of came naturally. Yeah. There's something about the water for me, especially it's just like one of my happiest places anywhere by the water. I love the ocean, but even the lake, like just being out on the water, there's almost like a magnetic pool and it just feels, it just feels right. You know? There is. Yeah. It's, it's one of those rare things that we can use to like instantly change our state, right? It's like, you just feel different coming out of the water than you did going in. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's very, very attractive. It is absolutely. What's, what's some of the best waves that you've ever caught? Is it in the hometown or have you so, taken it abroad? Yeah, I, I have been a lot of places. Uh, I went to school in Australia. Uh, from there, I traveled to Southeast Asia, all over Indonesia, Java, surfed the legendary G-Land, uh, which at the time was incredibly hard to get to and a great adventure. Um, surfed all over West Africa and uh, Canary Islands, Spain, Europe. But my favorite place is actually in my backyard. Um, <laughs> it doesn't get great often. It's not as consistent as, say, Hawaii, but when it's yeah. on, it's on and it feels almost like the forbidden fruit because it feels like you should never surf waves this good in New York, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like it would go together. That's awesome. I didn't even know yeah. that. Honestly, it's not like I'm big into surfing, but that's pretty cool. I, I yeah. really didn't know that. Speaking of the surfing, I think this transitions into kind of your story um, that, you know, you were able to give a Ted talk on and, and this title of one deep breath and kind of this insane story of basically not being able to have cognitive, you know, functions. What, what really happened in that moment? Yeah. So, you know, I went from being a really active 20 something year old, 24, 25, operating a surf camp on the East, uh, East end out here. Uh, during the winter, I was a personal trainer. I would also travel and compete in some friendly surf contests like this one in West Africa. And it was actually during one of those contests that I described in the, in the Ted talk, my legs went out from under me, went completely numb and I just couldn't feel my body. And I made it back to shore dog paddling and, um, ultimately was just exhausted. Thought that I came down with some sort of parasite. I was in Senegal and, um, you know, weeks went by, I stayed there and didn't get better. Energy was extremely low, but as we do, and we're, you know, young and, and overall healthy, we tend to push ourselves. So, you know, I just figured when I got home, I would nurture myself back to health, take a little break and bounce back. And I never did bounce back. You know, weeks turned to months. Uh, I got weaker. I got uh, flu-like symptoms. I had all of these strange cognitive uh, impairments to the point where, like I described in this talk, I was staring at my shoes one day and merely seeing spots. I was seeing a pattern on the floor and I knew what they were, but I couldn't remember what to do with them. I didn't know that they went on my feet. It was a bizarre experience. Wow. And, um, this obviously was concerning, prompted me to go wow. to several doctor's visits and they found a lot of concerning things. You know, a lot of, um, the challenge with, with modern medicine or conventional medicine is that they're looking at, they're using the best tools they have available. They're looking at our biometrics. They're looking at our, our blood work, our chemistry, all of these things that are important readouts, but are basically effects. They're not causes. So it's kind of like trying to gauge your speed by measuring the distance between the gas pedal and the floor, as opposed to really, you know, looking out the window and seeing how fast or slow you're going. So in my case, of course, when they did blood work, it came back total metabolic derangement. Testosterone was on the floor, you know, all of these things, uh, tons of inflammation in the system. So they sent me to a cardiologist because I was experiencing heart palpitations. They set me up with a halter top monitor sent me home and found that I had POTS, which is postural orthostasis tachycardia. That was concerning. So the cardiologist sent me to the neurologist who did punch muscle biopsies, nerve conductivity testing, spinal taps. And of course, you know, the more you look, the more you find. So found a host of different problems in, in the brain and the nervous system. And um, ultimately, yeah, I, I was very, very ill and got to the point where I could barely walk. 
And they found through all this testing that one of the causative factors, or perhaps what they found to be, you know, the causative factor was Lyme, Lyme disease or uh, Lyme bacteria, which can get to the central nervous system and basically short circuit the nervous system in such a way where it leads to this overactive stress response. So the body thinks that it's fighting something off that's acutely dangerous and it mounts that fight or flight response, which is, you know, useful for short-term stressful situations. But when this stays for months or years, this can be extremely debilitating to other systems in the body. And that's, as it turns out, what I was experiencing. Yeah. I think that in part, there is your situation, obviously on the extreme, but in today's society, something that we stay in that fight or flight response so much. And it's hard for people to kind of transition into, you know, a calm state, a meditative state or whatever, however you want to explain it. Is there things that you have used in, in that situation where it has helped you be able to tap into that parasympathetic nervous system? Yeah. So, you know, you have a really good point that I think in in today's busy day and age where we're being fed more information in a day than we used to come in contact with in our entire lifetimes about 50 years ago, because of course, internet, and there's a lot of the information that we're consuming is things that's troubling, concerning, concerning, alarming, you know, negative news. Um, But it's not something that we can actually do anything about. So the fight or flight response is meant to be aroused when we can do something like avoid the danger or fix the problem. But when we're exposed to ongoing problems or virtual problems, that's to say things that are happening on the other side of the world or worries about the future or ruminations of the past, these are problems that are not actually something that we can you know, execute on and, and get ourselves into a different situation. So instead, what we have to do is learn to shift our nervous system, as you put it, you know, from this sympathetic fight or flight state into parasympathetic. And the good news here is that the same way that your brain and nervous system can become essentially conditioned to get stuck in fight or flight, once you're aware of that and you have certain tools, just like exercise in the gym was a tool to change my body, there are certain exercises that you can actually do to change your brain and to retrain it to that parasympathetic state where it can default to rest and digest and your body and your mind can actually regenerate. So to your point and and kind of question, you know, what are some of those tools or what did I learn? Well, the one that I came to by default, which was turned into the title of a Ted talk I gave is one deep breath. And that was essentially being sort of forced into a corner where fight or flight was at an all time high. It was like, I couldn't even go any higher. So some perhaps innate wisdom in my body just prompted me to take this deep breath and to totally relax, to disengage. And when I did that for the first time, I felt that all of a sudden my body just became really settled. My mind became still. And so this started to be a regular practice for me that whenever I caught myself going into overdrive, especially my mind, you know, worrying about um, the symptoms or about what these symptoms meant, you know, would I be able to resume my surfing ways and my traveling lifestyle or all the rest? Um, I would just stop myself. I would take this deep breath and I would relax the mind and body. And simply by doing that repeatedly, I found that some changes started to happen. Some of that brain fog started to lift. A little bit of energy came back because I wasn't exerting so much of that mental energy on those worries and on that rumination. And so I started to get deeper into understanding what was actually going on here. So, you know, the question became, can I consciously apply these exercises? Are there some exercises that I can do the same way I did those exercises in the gym that would now change my brain and nervous system and allow my body to essentially heal itself? And that led me deep into the rabbit hole of neuroplasticity, neurocognitive rehab, and ultimately putting together a program that uh, comes now in the form of Reorigin, this company and, and organization that essentially teaches people how to retrain their own brains to calm the stress response and optimize their body's natural self-healing abilities. Right. And I think there's so much solidification in this. You know, I th- when sometimes you get down the road of, quote unquote, alternate medicine, alternate healing, healing ourselves. I feel like some people get lost, but you're a living, walking testimony 
that these things actually really do work. And I loved whenever you were talking in your TED talk, which by the way, everyone go listen to it on the side as well. But when you're talking about changing your environment and how important that was when you were so sick and debilitized, and in that really helped, you know, change the outcome. Tell me a little bit about that and, and how that really helped you. Yeah. So, you know, what you're, what you're talking about there is how I, when I was sick, when I was in that state, um, my room was filled with literally filled with IV poles, with supplements, with medicine bottles, and with all these papers I had printed out scary stuff. <laughs> you know, some of the, the stuff like study results that showed my brain scans and all these things that were just subconsciously reinforcing and reaffirming the state of ill health that I was stuck in. And part of what we're doing here, like the, the body responds to the brain, to the information that the brain is signaling out to the rest of the body. And the brain responds to the information that it's being fed through the environment, but also the information that we allow to get through to the conscious mind or the subconscious mind. So there's actually something in neuroplasticity called permission gate theory. And this has been studied and uh, written up in Norman Doidge's book called The Brain That Changes Itself, whereby they studied uh, people who were suffering from pain syndrome. This is to say chronic pain for say 20 years or more. And they took examples of like where people get, you know, shot on the battlefield and they don't realize it until hours later, in some cases, days later, once they're out of harm's way, then they realize, oh my God, I've been injured. But at the time they don't feel any pain. And the reason is not because the body hasn't been injured. It's because in that acute situation, the brain makes a decision. It basically prioritizes what information is going to get through and what isn't. And of course, the information that it allows to get through is like, you know, navigating out of the jungle or getting yourself back to safety. And it does not allow the pain sensing information to get through. So that tells us that, you know, our state of uh, pain or whatever information is getting through to the, the subconscious or the conscious mind is really kind of relative. It's more based on a sort of selection that's going on. So if, if we allow this information or feed our brain information that says, I'm in trouble, I'm sick, I'm not healthy, I'm, I'll, I'm stuck, I'll never get free, um, then we're going to experience physical sensations that coincide with that. And that's going to change our breathing. That's going to change the function of the autonomic nervous system from that parasympathetic to sympathetic. That's going to basically prompt the body to reprioritize its resources and pull energy away from things like digestion, immune system function, and healing of the body, and prioritize things like immediate survival, um, you know, that, that fight or flight state, inflammatory responses, and all these things that, again, in the short term are good, but in the long term, not so good. So one of the things I did was see, okay, what do I have control over? How, how can I communicate new information to my body uh, and to my brain that can perhaps have some of those beneficial effects? So um, I got rid of all that, you know, ER looking stuff. <laughs> I, I put back like uh, surfing posters and these things that I used to have that inspired me. I put my surfboard right uh, on the wall, like right in the, the wall where I looked at it most of the time. I physically packed my bag like I was going on a surf trip and put that next to the door. And I basically created all of these reminders of like health, good health and where I wanted to be and where I wanted to, to see myself. And every time that I saw these, these things, it had that opposite and beneficial effect on me rather than seeing my IV poles and this stuff and getting more fearful and more, you know, uh, negative about my, my situation. I saw these things that I'd become hopeful about and that changed that, that, um, you know, state of the nervous system, which overall changes the state of your body. Yeah, it's, it really is incredible. And I think our environment externally and internally is very important. You know, we talk a lot about on this subject as far as, yes, you need to internally get right. And that's very true inside out, I always say. But externally, our environment means a lot. Like if you're in a messy, messy room, like your, your thoughts might be cluttered. You clean that up, you're going to maybe feel a little bit better. I know at least for me, it's a night, night and day kind of thing. And priming the subconscious, I was listening to a podcast the other day with Dispenza, Dr. Joe Dispenza, we was talking about how you have 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day or whatever. And 90% of those are already like 
primed through subconscious thinking. Like it's, you're on a circuit, right? So how do we get out of that circuit? And that kind of leads into the question I have for you as far as if we finally become aware that we are in this circuit, we're in this pattern, we want to retrain our brain. How do we retrain our brain to be able to create new circuits and to create new patterns? Yeah, good question. Well, the brain is always making associations. So the same way, like we just talked about, it's making associations with the environment and certain feelings or emotions or physiological responses that you have. There's something interesting called the vacation effect, which is that basically anyone can, has probably experienced this. It's far easier to break an old bad habit or to form a positive new habit when you go on vacation. <laughs> and the reason is that you're out of your environment. You're in a new place and we don't even realize it, but so much of our internal state, how the brain regulates the body is actually dictated by certain associations that we have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one example of this is if someone has experienced, uh, let's say, you know, a mugging or been the victim of a violent crime on say 34th street, for example, you know, a very specific location, yeah. a specific street corner, whenever they go back to that exact location or even get close to it, they probably will experience some level of a stress response because of the old uh, event that took place there and the neurological conditioning association that's happened between yeah. the event and that location. So that's post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Yep. So, and this can happen not just with respect to, you know, your physical location, but also really any stimulus in the environment, a sound, someone who's, you know, heard a loud noise and was in battle. And that loud noise is now associated with the grenade going off and an immediate threat to the body. Um, that's, you know, when they hear a car backfiring, that's going to arouse the stress response. Meanwhile, the construction worker standing right next to them, bearing witness to the exact same event is going to have the complete opposite response. They're not even going to flinch because to them, it doesn't have that association. Right. So one of the things that we're trying to do is change the associations that we have. So let's say, you know, in, in reorigin, we have this 30 day program that teaches people how to systematically number one, identify what are those associations that they have? What are those things, those triggers or those stimuli that are throwing them for a loop we say. And some of those things can be physical, like certain foods or chemicals that they've developed sensitivities to. Some of them can be certainly location or other types of stimuli like light or sound. And some can just be thoughts. Some can be ruminating on, you know, worries or specific types of thoughts. So the first step is really becoming aware of what are these things in your environment, whether internal or external, that are throwing you for a loop. The next step is to insert a space. So this is about interrupting the pattern. For me, it started again by default with that one deep breath. We have a more kind of systematic way of, of doing it. But essentially, you know, famed psychologist Viktor Frankl said, between stimulus and response, there's a space. And in that space lies your freedom to choose a new response. Mm. So, and we actually know that between, you know, an event taking place and, um, and it, having a physiological impact on your body, we actually have this small, small opportunity to engage the rational brain. That's say, to say to engage the neocortex. So just because the amygdala and the limbic system, this fight or flight you know, mechanism in the brain is situated closer to the brainstem than the part that surrounds it, the cortex, its messages tend to get there a little bit sooner. But we can actually change that by engaging and, and training that cortex, that professor part of the brain to engage we can train that to intervene. And then that gives us this incredible ability to choose our response. So now let's say, you know, your friends and, and you are walking down and you get toward 40, uh, 34th street and you start to feel those heart palpitations and that stress response. Now that you have the awareness and you have the right tool, you can actually get in between that space between the limbic system and the rational brain, and you can choose a new response. You can choose a new experience. And now, of course, it's not just what we do once, it's what we do repeatedly. The same way you don't go to the gym once, look in the mirror and say, well, that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, 
conditioning. It's a matter of, of creating better conditions. And that process is simply the one that we know is, I like to say, conditioning. So the same thing that you know can be done in the brain and nervous system, by practicing a new response repeatedly, you're actually changing the structure and function of your brain and you're conditioning in or wiring in a new response. And the more you do that, the more that becomes your default response and um, essentially the place that you can settle to. Yeah. You mentioned the sensitivities to food, you know, the chemicals that are in foods that are in goodness, our, our cleaning sprays, our candles, like all of these chemicals that are just hiding in things that we use every day. And, and most people may not know. And then you even can talk further on EMFs and, you know, 5g and Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, like all of these things as well. So how, I think this is important to touch on because like I said, this stuff is starting to come to the forefront more, but a lot of it, it's, it's right in front of us all the time. And we don't even know it. And we're like, why am I feeling this way? Why am I feeling this way? We don't even know. So what are some of those things that are big on the forefront there when it comes to foods, chemicals, or, or certain habits that we have that have triggered certain responses that you've seen in your practice? Yeah. Well, I think you, you mentioned a bunch of them. You know, there, there's all these different things in the environment that have changed in the last uh, several decades, really, like in, in the last few years, even with Wi-Fi and now 5G coming out and all these things. I know a lot of people uh, are very concerned about um, and, and not without good reason. There are absolutely real challenges coming from the environment. And there is this biological medicine model that we tend to hold to at, at reorigin as well, which is kind of a total load theory. So I don't know if you've seen this kind of, uh, you know, drawing that they, they often describe as like this, this barrel. And it's to say that the, the body, the body, the brain, the nervous system are built to be pretty resilient. We can handle a certain amount of stress from past traumas, from you know, uh, toxicities from the environment, from uh, food additives and preservatives, from EMFs, all these different things. But at a certain point, these things might overflow the barrel's capacity to contain them. And that would be where we, that overflow is what we tend to experience as symptoms, essentially. So one of the things to note, though, is that when you start to experience symptoms in the form of sensitivities to foods or chemicals or Wi-Fi, as I did myself, I experienced all the sensitivities, including light and sound, all the rest. There's two sides to look at here. There's not just what's coming at you from the environment, but there's also how and why your body responds. Because if it was only the environment, then everyone would have a peanut allergy. Everyone would be, <laughs> couldn't go near Wi-Fi. Everyone would have food sensitivities. But we know that's not the case. Um, the same way we know that statistically speaking, if a cold virus breezes through a room of 10 people, statistically, probably three of them will get sick and exhibit symptoms, while seven maybe get mildly sick, but really don't exhibit symptoms. So that's because everyone's at a different threshold of that kind of total load. So the approach that we take with Reorigin and that I really advocate is kind of a, a dual approach where number one, if you're experiencing a lot of sensitivities to different things, of course, you want to optimize your environment. You want to reduce that total load as much as possible. But at the same time, we're always going to be exposed to some level of Wi-Fi and toxicity. Right. And I think it's also really important for people to know that your body is made to be resilient. And I don't know if you're familiar with the, the concept of like anti-fragility, um, Nicholas Taleb's book, but not only that, but it's also important. And it was certainly empowering for me to learn that the body is actually, the human body is one of these rare things that can actually gain resilience from being exposed to mild doses of stress. Whereas other things like this, you know, porcelain cup would break if I drop it on the floor <laughs> and a plastic cup would be resilient. That's to say it wouldn't break if I drop it on the floor. Imagine if you had a cup that every time you drop it, it actually gets stronger, right? Yeah. So that's what the human body is designed to do. And if we can find that balance by, yes, of course, mitigating the amount of stress we put on our system by cleaning up our environment during the time that we're trying to recover. And then secondly, and this is the part that we really emphasize at Reorigin, retraining the brain and nervous system to not over respond to those things. There's a certain amount of threat detection or threat response that's appropriate in the face of aggressors, pathogens, or uh, anything coming at us from the environment. 
And there's a certain point at which that stress response starts to work against us. So that's where we want to start to retrain the brain to be able to handle a certain dose of these. And actually through something we, we call systematic desensitization to start to expose ourselves slowly over time, uh, intentionally to certain foods or substances or Wi-Fi so that we can exist in the world and not have to live in a bubble. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's important because, you know, there's no way there is a way, but there's no practical way really in today's day and age. Like you don't want to be the guy that's walking around in the hazmat suit because you don't want any EMF or someone to sneeze or anything else like that. Right. Like it's no way to live at the end of the day. And our bodies are incredible. Like, you know, I know that, you know, COVID's going on and all this stuff, but our bodies are seriously incredible machines and, and the way that they work and the interest, interest, eh intricacies spit that one out of the brain and the body i mean like you said it's building back up stronger it's just incredible what are some of the ways that you have kind of retrained i know you spoke about slowly inserting certain things but are there any other tactics that you know practical people at home could use to help strengthen their immune system and strengthen their body in that sense yeah. So, you know, like I said, it's all about communicating a new message to your brain and nervous system and specifically to this region of the brain called the limbic system. So essentially what we want to do, I'll, I'll try and put it in the most simple terms uh -uh. is we want to be like in this relaxed state. We don't want to be holding a lot of tension. When you hold tension, you can actually just, anyone can try this who's listening put your body under tension, start to slowly tense your neck muscles, your shoulder muscles, you know, your biceps, your quads, everything, just slowly tense all the muscles in your body and see if you imagine if you hold that for several minutes on end, you're going to experience a certain amount of you know, depletion. You're going to feel tired <laughs> because yeah. of course this takes energy and the body is this system of, of resource allocation where if it's putting energy toward the stress response, toward tension, toward you know, fighting something off, that's going to take away energy from the function of the immune system of hormones and chemicals needed for procreation for all of these things that are, let's say like longer term uh, you know, uh, goals in, in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. So it's going to prioritize immediate survival. So the real goal in a way is to kind of relax the nervous system. It's to allow the body and the mind to relax. So one of the things that people can do is to, again, be aware first and foremost of what those things are that are causing this overt stress response, whether it's physical substance or certain thoughts or events that may happen throughout the day, then become aware of what the sensations are in the body. So when you encounter this stimuli or this trigger, how does that affect your body? And at Reorigin, we actually have this, this sort of mind map, this worksheet that, that people fill out where they go through, okay, identify, you know, the, the trigger or the stimulus, identify the effect that it has on your, on your brain, your mind, and your body, you know, emotionally as well as physically, and then identify what behavior you normally do to avoid the discomfort. Because as you know, all of our behavior is basically motivated by moving toward pleasure or away from pain, trying to avoid discomfort. Mm -hmm. So once you have that kind of mapped out, then what we can do is create the map that you would want to have that says now when you come in contact with this stimuli, again, whether it's experiencing a symptom, having a negative thought, uh, or ruminating on a negative, negative experience, what is the like new response? If you tell yourself a different story that this thing is not acutely dangerous, um, but instead that it's simply information coming from the environment, then what happens to your body? It's like, well, now that you realize this, the body can start to relax rather than tense up and burn all that energy. Now your body can relax. And when the body can stay relaxed, then what is the new behavior that you can do there? Now you have the choice to rather than, you know, uh, engage in some, some kind of like maladaptive behavior or something that's going to just 
move you to avoid the the discomfort. Yeah. Now you can choose to do something that's actually healthy. You can choose to go for a walk. You can choose to do some breathing exercises. You know, you it gives you the freedom to kind of choose this new um, response and practice that over and over again. So we have this kind of sequence where people, you know, do these mind maps um, and then they actually practice it in real time, in real life with respect to the thing that is triggering them, the thought, the feeling, the sensation, the symptom, whatever it might be. Um, and there's this kind of process that they they go through. Uh, it takes a little bit of, of explanation, but essentially yeah. it's training the body and the brain to stay in a relaxed state with respect to whatever that former aggressor might've been. Yeah. It reminds me of a um, episode that I did the other day, just a little mini episode about, you know, how thoughts can manifest physically. And like you said, if you're all tense, you can feel the energy. You're going to get tired after a while. It's like thinking about something, a conversation you don't want to have thinking about going out on the field. If you're a, or if you're an athlete or, you know, having a big meeting and you're nervous, right? You, your heart rate, you can feel your heart rate elevate, your hands get clammy. You might start pit sweating a little bit, right? Nothing's actually happening. It's literally yeah. just a thought in your head. So if we can manifest a physical reality from a thought in a negative way, then we could also do it in a positive way. And it's, it, it's, if you look at it that way, it just tends to make, I'm like, Whoa, this makes sense. Right. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you brought that up because it, it's true. The body is responding, not necessarily to reality, but to our internal reality, to what we hold in mind. And all those examples you gave are, are perfect. You know, you can ruminate on you know, say, uh, uh, an argument that you had or worry about something that might come up in the future and your body will respond in the present accordingly, the same way that you can think about, you know, in vivid high def, your very favorite food and all of the enzymes and, and, and things will start to activate to consume that food and to break it down, even though it's nowhere in sight, this is all taking place in your mind. Right. And we know, you know, athletes have been using this for decades with, um, visualization. Um, there's been these studies of prisoners of war who for a decade were, you know, underground and practiced mental rehearsal piano and came out like being able to play all these concertos <laughs> and things because they trained it in their nervous system. And if you think about how, how the, you know, you actually learn any skill, what's changing is really the brain. Of course, for a certain athletic endeavors, like weightlifting, there's obviously physical adaptations, but when it comes to something that's really purely skill-based, like playing the violin or playing the piano, what's the difference between when you didn't know how to play a certain song. And then when you did know how to do it, did anything physically change in your body? No. What changed is your brain. What changed is your nervous system learned these new patterns. And the exact same way that your brain and nervous system and body has learned these old patterns of rumination, worry, and stress, those are merely habits that we can actually replace and overcome with new habits. We can choose to put the body into a state of relaxation, of joy, of happiness, of contentment by simply practicing and rehearsing consciously those new responses and those new experiences. Where does, does meditation play a role in any of this to be able to activate that parasympathetic? Cause I've, in my journey so far, actually, I I've really seen so much uh, progress and success and, and, you know, breath work and meditation to tap into that parasympathetic nervous system and almost, you know, get into your subconscious brain to be able to start having these thoughts because of all the stimulus, because of all the thoughts that are going on in your head constantly. Is that yeah. part of something that's helped could help along this route? Yeah, absolutely. You know, med meditation is great at dropping into that parasympathetic state and sort of quieting down the stress response. We've actually found that for, for a lot of the people that come to reorigin who are dealing with these um, acute uh, and then ongoing stress responses like anxiety and things that have led to burnout, it can actually be difficult for them to meditate. And at first mm -hmm. it can actually lead to more uh, anxiety, right? Because all of a sudden you become aware of the, all those mm -hmm. negative thoughts and the body, you know, just like doesn't want to let go of, of, of how wound up it's, it's uh, learned to be. So what we do is, is we teach them sort of a, there's a meditative component to this process of, you know, number one, awareness, reorienting your thoughts, and then ultimately replacing your, your state. What we use is a more active meditation. It's kind of like a, 
in fully engaged, immersive visualization. Yeah. So, and, and it's done uh, with respect to the thing that's thrown you for a loop in the first place. So one example I like to give is when I first got back to full-time work, uh, I worked in Times Square and for someone with hypersensitivity disorder, <laughs> this is like the last place you wanted to be. Yeah. And one of the things that really set me off was the ringing phone that every time the phone rang in my office, I would just like get these heart palpitations and, and basically have a panic attack. Yeah. And first thing was, okay, you know, I became Took me, it took me some time, but I eventually became aware of that um, relationship that was going on, that it was the phone would ring and then I would have this response and I would you know, answer quickly in this panic state and my mind would start playing out these negative scenarios of like customer service issues that I wouldn't be able to handle, getting yelled at and all this kind of stuff that oh. <laughs> is a great saying. I think it was Mark Twain said, I've had a lot of worries in my life, most of which never happened. So, <laughs> it's like, That's a good you know, just to speak to what the mind does. Yeah. Um, but by becoming aware of that, then I was able to get in that gap between stimulus, ringing phone and response, panic attack and choose a new response. Mm. So I made this simple rule for myself where every time I heard that phone, I would push myself back from my desk. I would drop my shoulders take that one deep breath that served me so well in the past, mm. smile, and then I would answer the phone. And the more I practiced that repeatedly, repeatedly for days and weeks, what eventually happened after just a couple of weeks was that every time the phone rang, not only did it not arouse the stress response, but it actually produced a relaxation response. <laughs> it became, it just was, you know, a fundamental shift in the association between that same sound, same event. But now because I had practiced that new response, um, it became the new default phone would ring shoulders would drop smile would come to my face. Oh. I would breathe deep and just kind of like enjoy, you know? And, um, so that's kind of like every origin. It, it is in some way a meditative process that involves, you know, what, what is being referred to a lot these days as mindfulness just simply means, you know, being aware of what's happening or paying attention. Um, but it's a little bit more, uh, we, we tend to, to advise that people do this in a little bit more of an active way to really change those neural pathways. I like to say meditation is great for returning to baseline, but life often requires us to go far beyond baseline. It requires us to function in this really dynamic world. And that may require, you know, specific or trigger specific retraining of the brain and limbic system. Mm, that's so good. I, I think a lot of people can relate to the feeling of overwhelm, burnout, depression, anxiety, these things that may have been triggered by past events or maybe triggered by future events or, you know, thinking about what's next or how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And it really does do everybody good to have these tools. Listening to your stuff, it seems that you really look at health from a holistic perspective. And for one person to just come say, meditation changed my life. Okay. Maybe it did, but what about the other things that it helped you change or the lifestyle? Like what is the holistic approach? What is your view on kind of a holistic approach to health? And for someone that's like, I need to change all of these things in my life, where would be the base to be able to start rewiring and, you know, creating a life that they want? Yeah. You know, that's such, such a good question because actually when you become overwhelmed when you are in a state of chronic anxiety or overwhelm and you're in that hypervigilant state. What the brain does is it tends to shut down this kind of executive function and it activates something called the default mode network. It, it basically goes lateral and it goes looking for all of these different things that we think we need to fix. And it, be, it can become really overwhelming. I definitely found myself there, you know, um, really overwhelmed between like, okay, where do I start? I can change my diet, my supplements, my breathing, my posture, my sleep, my, you know, there's all of these different facets. And what I came to realize and what really allowed me <laughs> to breathe a sigh of relief and what I would love to share with, with your listeners is the body like a plane, like a plane flies itself, the body heals itself. The body's natural state is to be healthy. We know this scientifically and we have a name for it. It's called homeostasis. Homeostasis is that state where everything is in balance. There's some 3 trillion reactions per second taking place in the human body. So this is obviously way more than our conscious mind could, could govern or could control. And thank God for that because <laughs> if, if we tried like talk about a stress response. So 
Yeah. The, the thing to notice is that, you know, the, the body does have this natural propensity to be healthy. The mind has this natural propensity to be at ease, to be happy, to be joyful. And whenever we're experiencing anything other than homeostasis, health, harmony, balance, it's because we've been thrown for a loop. It can be triggered by the environment, but for whatever reason or however it started, the nervous system is now kind of stuck or switched on in this hypervigilant mode. And so our goal, or I think, you know, the goal of anyone who who's, uh, really wants to recover from, from anything, whether it's anxiety, depression, or physical ailment, is to number one, realize that your body heals itself. You are not the healer and the doctor is not the healer. Um, I heard this, this, this great doctor actually once say that the role of a practitioner should not be to perpetually manage sick patients, but to reestablish their own ability to self-manage. Mm-hmm. So the first thing oh, you can do, I'd great. say is like, let yourself off the hook, realize that your body simply needs to be, um, to kind of relearn to do what it naturally does. At Reorigin, in the very first day of the program, we tell everyone your role in this program and your role in your own health is to be like a farmer. The farmer simply plants the seeds and sets the conditions. He makes sure that the soil has plenty of water, that there's sunlight in the area, and that's it. You don't make the seeds grow. You certainly (laughs) don't keep digging them up and like opening them up inside. (laughs) So I think, you know, all of these different things like, like sleep, nutrition, they're important, you know, they're not uh, irrelevant. Uh, they're, but they are merely tools that we can use to set the right conditions, to set the stage for healing to naturally happen. Hmm. I think that's so important too, because it is easy to get overwhelmed in, oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. I have this person saying this, this person saying that I need to take this. I need to meditate this way or work out this way. And in reality, like you said, our body is working for us from somebody who's been at the bottom of being sick. I mean, you were very sick, you know, IVs and, you know, cognitive, you were basically disabled at that one point. What is your take on conventional medicine versus alternative medicine now and you know being in that position and knowing what you know now with neuroplasticity and how our body works what is your take on conventional medicine and is there a place for it is there not and then alternative medicine and should it be balanced out should one be more than the other what's your thoughts there yeah. So, you know, there's absolutely a place for, for conventional medicine and conventional medicine has really thrived uh, and made tremendous progress in areas of acute trauma, right? You yep. break a leg, you want conventional medicine. <laughs> you, you don't want neuroplasticity. You exactly. want to go to the doctor and reset, you know, reset the limb. Yeah. Uh, another area is infectious disease. Of course, there's been, there's a lot of headway. I would say where conventional medicine falls short is really understanding the interconnectedness of the body, especially what is commonly referred to as the mind-body connection. Mm. And the reason for that is fairly unfortunate. It's it's simply that the way conventional medicine uh, arose and is taught in schools is that these departments are separated by building or by floor. And because of that, because the neurology department is separate from the cardiology department, which is separate from the gastroenterology department, there's little communication taking place between these, these different fields. Mm -hmm. And as a result, when you go to the dentist, they just see teeth without seeing how, you know, the plaque in your mouth affects the plaque in your arteries. They don't really think about it, about the area beyond their zone of expertise. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, you know, I know a lot of doctors and, and after uh, my own healing and recovery journey, worked with doctors for, for eight years, um, doing different seminars and bringing people together from all different types of modalities. And um, I think it's, it's on the one hand, you can understand why special uh, specialists and specialties exist. It's important to go right. very deep and narrow into, you know, one area of focus. But I think it's also important to not lose sight of the whole person. I think that that same doctor that said, you know, uh, that the role of the doctor is to restore self-management also said, uh, treat the person, not the disease. <laughs> if you treat, 
if you treat the person, the disease and the symptoms will naturally fall away. Uh, the same way that, you know, if you plant a sick tree in healthy soil, the tree will become healthy because it's in the right environment. Conversely, if you plant a healthy tree in sick soil, the opposite will happen. So I think there's absolutely room for both to coexist. And what I would love to see more of is for conventional doctors and specialists to, um, to step back a little bit, to, to see that, that broad vision and to kind of, you know, come around the, the, the table with people who are talking about mind body connection, neuroplasticity, breath work, all of these different things that can fundamentally change the environment, which then leads to these symptomatic positive shifts downstream. Mm, that's very, very well said. It, uh, you know, I just see it in so many people trying to per se cover up a certain issue. Um, it's almost like a bandaid on, on a bullet wound. <laughs> like it's not going to do like, you may not bleed for a little, but it's going to bleed through there. It's going to fall off. Right. So going to the root cause of the problem is always something that I really push for because, you know, you, you look at antibiotics and, and all of these other prescription medications that at times, yes, they are hundred percent needed. And I'm not here to say I'm against that by any means, but there's also problems that can stem from these things. So we're not trying to go to the root cause first before turning to those things. And I think that coexisting with both is, is definitely our best, our best chance to continue to push forward to ultimate states and optimizing what medicine can do. Cause it really is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, all too often we get caught and this is just kind of a product of our, our current way of thinking in this day and age in these juxtaposed types of, of thought loops where it's either this or that it's either conventional or it's alternative, not really seeing room for both. When in yeah. reality, the question in, in a way doesn't make as much sense when you start to think of it in terms of context, everything has a place in the right context, you know, the same way I said, you know, it's the right tool for the right job. I think where we get into trouble is where we start being like that hammer looking for nails, right? Yeah. Trying to use, use that one tool that we, that we know um, yeah. to solve everything else. I heard this great uh, story, makes a good analogy of um, this guy, he's searching for his car keys and he's under this lamppost and someone says to him, oh, well, where did you lose your keys? And he says, well, back by my car, but it's dark over there. He said, well, you lost it back there. Why are you searching here? He says, because this is where the light is shining. So, you know, it's like, if you know, if all you know is conventional medicine and those are the tools you have, then of course you're going to look at problems through the lens of, of that tool. And oftentimes you're going to miss critical things because it's not the right place. Um, but it's, it's kind of like, you know, I, here, here's a good way that I see, you know, the combined approach. If you have a leak in your wall and the water is starting to come through and, uh, you know, create damage to the wall, there's a couple ways you could fix that problem. The conventional way might be like, you know, just taking a medicine, like you said, putting a bandit on a bullet wound would be to paint the wall, right? So now you've, you've fixed the problem <laughs> temporarily, but if you haven't addressed the root cause, in this case, a leak on the other side of the wall, you're just going to keep winding up with the same issue. So the neurological approach or this neuroplasticity approach that, that we take when it comes to healing, you know, things or allowing the symptoms to fall away for a lot of these chronic type conditions is very much like going in and fixing the actual leak. It's, you know, re rewiring or replumbing the system so that the leak doesn't spring in the first place. Then I will say, you know, at the same time, you might as well still paint the wall because you still want it to look nice. Yeah. So there is room for both to take place. Yeah, that's, that's wise, wise words and many categories other than our health. <laughs> just, that's all. <laughs> well, someone who has been, you know, through a lot and, and is now, you know, you, you were executive vice president of innovative medicine and you've created a company and now, you know, you are helping so many other people and, and changing lives through neuroplasticity as well. What is your definition of success? Really good question. I think, you know, my, I, I would tend to think of success the same way I think of health. S success is a process and it happens by process, not by event. The same way that health or healing is a process and it happens sequentially, not by a, a single thing that you do. So 
for me, success or, or health and healing is just an ongoing thing. It's a, it's a, it's a way of being, it's a way of showing up, you know, not to say that I am successful or, or, you know, uh, maximally healthy or optimized in any way like that. But I think I heard you actually talk about in a previous podcast, um, this reference to kind of in a way, a growth mindset or, you know, paying attention to the process and seeing even obstacles as opportunities, right? It's, it's more about an orientation. It's about a direction. When you value, when you shift your values from a certain result to the process of growing and improving, really exciting things start to happen. Magical things start to happen because your whole perspective changes to, uh, you know, seeing challenges as opportunities. So, you know, even now, like, you know, if I'm facing something, uh, a challenge to my business or my own health, the fundamental shift that happens when I started to practice all this stuff is like, I actually get excited, you know, because we know that neurologically, uh, the state of excitement and anxiety are actually neurochemically identical. It's the story we tell ourselves that changes the experience from anxiety or panic to excitement and, you know, this willingness to move forward with it. So by, you know, seeing, let's say some, some, some challenge as this opportunity to practice neuroplasticity, practice building a better brain, practice overcoming adversity or moving forward in the face of it, all of a sudden, like we can be on this adventure of life instead of this, uh, this <laughs> scary ride. Yeah. It's, uh, I love the quote of, you know, when things are, when things are getting hard, you know, that you're in the right place because you yeah. know you're putting yourself in an opportunity to get better, to grow, you break the muscle down to build it back up when you're failing. Are you looking at it as a failure, as an opportunity to mark off the list? Nope, this doesn't work. Now I'm one step closer to where I need to be. So perspective too, with health and the way that we were talking about, you know, the, I love that. I'm going to steal that from you. Just so you know, everybody knows that Ben said it first, but the, <laughs> the anxiety and the excitement, I mean, when you know that that is neurochemically the same thing that's happening, how would you think of it the next time you have anxiety? before a presentation or whatever else you're doing, like, you're like, Oh no, I'm not anxious. I'm just excited. Mm. It's, it really is perspective. Perspective drives performance and it drives the way that we live our life. And, and those are very wise words, very wise words, sir. That was, that was great. Where can everybody find you on socials? Where can they find more about reorigin, all of that good stuff? Yeah. So the place is, uh, on the web, it's reorigin.com. That's re-origin.com. And there they can see a little bit more about the neuroplasticity program that we have, uh, as well as the community and coaching that we offer around this. Um, and we offer this to people who are anyone struggling with, you know, chronic anxiety or overwhelm burnout, but also some of those more severe conditions. Like I experienced with the Lyme and post Lyme syndrome, or today post COVID syndrome is uh, very, very similar in the way that it impacts the, the, the stress response. Um, so people can go there as well as on social media, uh, on Instagram, we're at reorigin underscore official. And, um, if anyone wants to, to reach out to me, uh, the contact form on reorigin.com is a place that, uh, those emails go directly to me. I see all of them and I try to reply. Uh, and so, yeah, if people have questions, definitely go there. Yeah. Okay. I'm interested now the post COVID syndrome. I feel like this is something that everyone can relate to, especially now it, you or someone else that, you know, most likely you've gotten it at one point or another, whether you know it or not. So what is post COVID mm -hmm. syndrome? How have you been seeing that? Well, so post COVID syndrome is when people tend to experience this, uh, symptoms, these, these, you know, flu like symptoms that exceed the duration of the infection. Uh, that's known as post-viral fatigue. And it's not unique to post-COVID. It's just, yep. you know, the fact that this is a novel virus. Uh, it's obviously affecting a great number of people. Yep. So we're seeing it more and hearing about it more. Yep. And essentially, there's this category of, of conditions that are known as self-perpetuating inflammatory conditions. Uh, late stage or chronic Lyme involves similar underlying mechanisms, whereby essentially what's happening is that during this acute stress, during this acute uh, viral infection, as it is with post-COVID uh, or actual COVID, your brain uh, can actually learn to stay in this hypervigilant stress response. And this usually happens when two things coincide. When the presence of the pathogen 
coincides with uh, an acute life stress. Let's say if you're under a lot of light, uh, stress, you know, working from home or uncertainty about your career or the future, or just reading a lot of negative news, and yeah. then you get COVID, you know, and then you get sick. Now what happens is the brain forms this, we talked about associations, right? The same way it forms the association between the trauma that took place on 34th street or that loud noise that was life-threatening. The brain forms a neurological wiring, a neurological con connection because neurons that wire together or fire together, wire together. Um, it actually creates this connection between the uh, infection and the state of, of chronic stress. So whenever we experience any stress, all of a sudden, not only do we have the results of the, the stress, but it actually re-triggers these symptoms that at one time were appropriate when we had the virus, but now are no longer appropriate, but there it's a wow. learned response. Yeah. Yeah. So that's actually something that fortunately, now that we understand the, the mechanisms of that, looking through this lens of neuroplasticity, we can retrain the brain. We can actually you know, retrain uh, those neurons. The saying also goes, neurons that fire apart, wire apart. So by practicing that different response, uh, we can retrain the brain to not overreact um, and to essentially calm down and, and allow itself to heal. Mm. Yeah, that I mean, that makes plenty of sense. Obviously, a lot, majority of, you know, deadly illnesses are stress-related in the first place. And especially with COVID, I think because of all the media and all of the, all of the lives that it's impacted and, you know, the fear that is been instilled in, in the world right now, it's, uh, you, you get stressed out about it. You know, if you're constantly seeing that thing, then you get COVID you're like, I mean, that you could even get even more stressed out. Right. So, I mean, yeah. it really does make sense. And the, the connection and the synapses between the brain with that's it's wow. It's really good stuff. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's very much in the same way because you're into fitness and, and all these things that uh, you, you know, the body has a muscle memory and you can train or entrain different uh, movement patterns uh, that will get stored uh, in your physiology for a long time, basically in the nervous system. Um, the nervous system also has a memory. And when it uh, learns to react in a certain way with pro-inflammatory cytokines and releasing all of these things in the body that are trying to fight off a pathogen, um, then when you become stressed out in the future, even though that pathogen is not in the system, because it has that nervous system memory, uh, it will basically produce the same effects in the body, release of inflammatory cytokines. So basically increasing uh, the inflammatory response, decreasing the function of the immune system, leaving you open to potentially more pathogens in the future, and then creating this sort of vicious cycle where the body is... Um, because of the immune system, it's called conditioned immune suppression. Immune system is, is suppressed, body's open to more pathogens coming in, brain overreacts to those pathogens, further suppresses the immune system, and round and round it goes. And this is a cycle that can be very difficult to, to break unless you consciously intervene and start to alter that stress response to the point where your immune system can stay intact and stay operative and then really um, you know, do what it does best, which is fight off pathogens and allow the body to self-heal. Guys, I hope that you guys are writing some of this stuff down. It, it has been a informational filled episode today and go check out Ben, go check out reorigin. If you're interested in learning more, I'm sure Ben will have all the answers for you in the questions that you have for today's episode. Go give him a follow on all of his socials as well. And if this episode helped you share it with somebody who you think it could help share it with somebody who you think it could move their life forward in a positive way. And let us know what you thought about today's episode with Ben. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Breathe and Air podcast. Ben, do you have any closing thoughts or comments or anything you want to close us off with? Yeah, sure. So I would just love to leave everyone with the sentiment that everything is changing. Although sometimes you might feel stuck in life or in a certain condition, in fact, we know now from neuroplasticity that everything is in constant state of change. Change is the only constant, they say. And so if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling ill or any of these things, just know this is a temporary state. Your brain and your body have the 
absolute ability to achieve that homeostasis that we spoke of. And they might nearly, merely need a little reminding of how to do their job. And that's really what we're here to do. So I just want everyone to be, be hopeful, be optimistic that health is your natural state and you can and will return there. Beautiful. Guys, thank you so much. Go leave us a rating on Apple Podcast and share this episode. We don't ask for much, but share it and spread the wealth. Ben, definitely spread the wealth today. Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me.